students, not in, not in Institute the Candles, but there's a teaching from the Maggot of Kuznets, which maybe will bring some perspective to what exactly is happening right now in this classroom. There's a mission in Pirkei Avos that says, you should know that above you, this is ostensibly a teaching about how to, how to inculcate oneself with Yerat Shemaim. How does a person know how to operate in the world? You should know what's going on above. There's an eye in Ro'eh, there's an eye that sees, an Ozen Shomat, there's a ear that hears. And all of your actions are being written in a book. That's the Mishnah. You want to know what's going on above you? I'll tell you what's going on above you. There's an eye in Ro'eh, there's an eye that sees everything that we're doing. There's an Ozen Shomas, there's an ear that hears, and all of our actions are being written in the book. Uh, powerful, uh, but ultimately it's very simple 
teaching from Pirkei Avos that we should know that what we, what we do matters. Our actions are being recorded properly. Something which maybe might have been difficult to fathom a few hundred years ago, but here I am. All the words that I'm recording and the words that I recorded last week and the week before that were all uploaded online. These ones I did on purpose, but we should know that all the words that we're saying are recorded in Shemaim, and they're recorded through sight and through ears, and, and they're written in a book. That's a simple interpretation of Mishnah. The Holy Kajnitz Ramagid, the Vodas Yisrael of Kajnitz, came and he said, I'll, I'll tell you a, a deeper interpretation of, of those words. Da mimcha. If you want to know what's going on above you. In other words, everybody wants to know what's going on above. What's, what's happening? You know, anybody who ever opened the news to try to see what's going on down here is really not looking to find out what's going on down here. They're trying to make sense out of reality. They really want to know what's going on above. Like, what is going on? So we look to see, you know, we, we try to open up a newspaper and we try to read books and to try to understand the reality down here. But the deeper craving is we want to know what's going on upstairs. It's, we're reading now by Yitzhak Mitzrayim, so everyone knows from the from the Haggadah, so on the Lel Seder, we say the four, the four questions. The youngest child gets up, and uh, my, my 36-year-old brother, kid brother, still gets on, up on the chair by the Seder at our family and like sways back and forth like an awkward like, five-year-old, you know, while he says the Manishtana to get some, to get some laughs. But the, so we say these four questions by the, by the Pesach Seder of Revlevi Yitzchak of Bardichev. He used to, I don't know if he got up on the chair, but he used to say... Now we're going to ask the four questions. And he would say, four questions? You think I have four questions? I have 400 questions. I have, four mil- I have six million questions. After the Holocaust, we could say, I have six million questions. Four questions. What about the, the sick child down the block? What about this uh, poor almona? What about this? What about that? What about this war going on? What? I have lots of questions. And the Redditor said, but if, if, if I knew, if I felt in my bones that there was one answer, and the one answer was, I got this. Everything is going in its proper order. I know it looks chaotic on the other side, but you know how it is when my mother likes to crochet. You know, you look on the wrong side of the thing. It's like there's like just chaotic, uh, you know, there's a mess of thread on one side. You flip over the other side, it's a beautiful picture. So the Verditcher said, if I would know that everything's going on, I, I, could, I don't even, I'll put my questions to the side. That's okay. So everybody wants to know, what's going on up there? If we could catch one glimpse of the other side of the picture, not the threads that are all chaotic on our side, but one glimpse of the other side would feel much better. So the Kashmir Tzimagid said, Da mala mala mala. You want to know what's going on? You want to know the message that you're supposed to be taking right now? Well, there were three periods in Jewish history. There was one period in Jewish history where there was an ayin roeh. You know, the, the, the Navi says that in the olden, the olden days, the Navi used to be called Roim. It was called the Roe. The Urim Vitumim, which was the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, had lights that lit up, stones, gemstones that lit up. And the Kohen Gadol, or a proper person, could look at those lit up gemstones with their eyes, and they'd be able to see, based on which stones lit up, should the Jewish people go to war, should they not go to war, should they do this, should they not do this. And it's a whole sugi, it's a whole discussion, who's allowed to use this and for what purposes. Obviously, we don't just, you know, should I invest in this or should I not invest in this? It's not necessarily. But there were prophets, there were roim, there were those who could see. They had visionary, 
uh, to see, to know what's going on above and what's expected of me at that time, you should know that there's an eye that sees. Go, you want to know what's going on above? Go to the Navi in the first temple period. In the second temple period, there wasn't any more the Urm We didn't have these clear visions. But there was an Ozen Shomas. We had this thing called the Baskol. There was a, maybe a, the Nevo was starting to dissipate a little bit, but we still had this thing called the Baskol, that we could hear an echo of the divine will that the Nevi'im were able to still carry. They weren't anymore like the, like the, like the Navi indicates. They used to be called Rowan. Now they're called Shomim, which is you can't compare hearing to seeing. Seeing is a much higher level. And after that, we have the ear that hears. That's the, the next generation of people who had a certain way of being able to listen. What does Hashem want from me? And to be able to hear the voice of Hashem in that way. But now, said the Kashmir Tzermagir, if you want to know what's going on above, you want to know what's going on above you? The Ayin Roha that was in Shomas. I don't have that anymore. Kol Masecha, all of your actions, what you ought to do, the Sefer Nechtavim. It's written in the book. And on a certain level, Chacham Adif Minavi, we don't have Nevuah anymore. But we have a path of the Nevi'im, which is the path of the Tzadikim, the pathway of the Arizal and those who came after the Baal Shem Tov and the Vilnagon and the Ramchal and all those people. It's called the Darkei Hanavim. It's called the Way of the Prophets. And the Way of the Prophets doesn't mean we're prophesying. It means that we're, we're looking into the Sefer. If we want to know what it is that's going on above and how we ought to react to it and what our tafkid is, we very simply need to look in the book and to be able to take the messages. Now, looking in the book is not such a simple thing. All week long, we're looking in the book. We may not be looking directly in this book, but we're, we're always looking in Svarim, we're learning Halacha, we're learning Gemara, we're trying to plumb the depths of the, of the, the will of God, the divine will. And we have books to do that. And we, we have other books that, that teach us about the divine will, books that explain <laughs> the universe and how it functions. That's what we do all week. So once a week, we come to this classroom, fortunate for many, many, ten, about 10 years now to sit in this classroom on Thursday at this time. And without having a, a proper, you know, it would be, very, it would be a malfeasance on my part as a teacher if every time I walked into a classroom I, I wasn't prepared to know what I, I was going to be saying. So usually you have maramakomos, there would be some sort of, there's a seder hadvar. You, you know what you're going to say, or at least you know what, what line in the Gemara you're up to, what... Uh, you know, what Tosos you're up to, that's, that's, the, that's the standard. Once a week, it's good to not know exactly what you're going to do and exactly what you're going to say. And to let the text speak for itself, to let the kol ma'asecha b'sefer nechtavim, like Rabbi Nachman wrote in Lekutim Aram, that there, there is a, a way of, of knowing what the Torah wants from you by simply looking in the book and seeing what jumps off the page at you. But you have to do it with great simplicity. It's not a magic trick. It's not a... It's just to come into the room and to daven that Hashem should open our eyes and our lips to be able to say, what is it that we should be thinking about right now? What is the, what is the call of the day? And so, Baruch Hashem, that's where we gather here to do this. And we look a little bit into the text to see. One of the mitzvahs 
that we have surprisingly in this parsha because it doesn't it doesn't seem to really belong here in this place is the mitzvah of tefillin. Now, there's a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov is taught that all of the 613 mitzvahs apply to every person at every moment, no matter what. So it doesn't matter whether you're a king or you're not a king. Every person in this room right now has to write a second Sefer Torah. What does that mean? It doesn't matter whether you own a donkey or you don't own a donkey, whether it had a firstborn or doesn't have a firstborn. You have to do pidyon chamor right now at this very second. How am I supposed to do that? I don't have a donkey. And I certainly don't have a firstborn donkey. Right now, every person needs to do the mitzvah of wearing tefillin. Man, woman, doesn't matter. How do you do the mitzvah of tefillin? We're not, we're definitely, I'm not wearing tefillin right now. There are mitzvahs that apply to kohanim and not to kings, and to kings and not kohanim, to men and to not to women, women and not to men. This is a, so what does the Baal Shem Tov mean? That every mitzvah applies to every person at every moment. So there are many examples of how to do this. And, and there's, a way, there's a ways to do mitzvahs b'machshava, b'dibor, b'maysa, with one's mind, with one's speech and with one's actions. What's the mitzvah of tefillin really all about? It's amazing because Chazal explained that the mitzvah of tefillin, the actual boxes that they put on, you know, that we, that we put on our, that didn't really happen until we got to, to Eretz Yisrael. So we're we getting the mitzvah of tefillin here because there's, a, there's an inyan of tefillin. There's a mitzvah of tefillin that specifically is being revealed in Mitzrayim. Dafka in this moment in Mitzrayim. So the first thing we need to know about tefillin is, obviously, that the Torah tells us that you should never have tefillin shal roshan without a tefillin shal yad. V'hayu letotafos be'ninecha. Pasuk. V'hayu letotafos be'ninecha. They shall be totafot be'ninecha. Now, we know that we don't wear totafot be'ninecha. We only wear one. I mean, I guess sometimes you see people wear Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam tefillin at the same time. That's for very high levels, but... You know, they're just fulfilling the pshuto shel mikra. Totafot b'nechah. But Chazal say you don't wear two in front. Of, you don't wear two between your eyes. Uksharetam laos al yadecha vahayul totafos b'nechah. You should attach it to your arm. Vahayul totafos b'nechah. Come along our sages in Maseches Menachos, and they say kol zman shiu b'nechah yushtaim. Whenever you have b'nechah, whenever you have the tefillin shalrosh on your head, you better make sure that you have two tefillin on. Meaning to say, the totafos b'nechah are not actually two between your eyes, but you should be wearing two when you're wearing even one between your eyes. That is to say, <coughs> you should never have your tefillin shal roshan without your tefillin shal yad. The kachava, that's how the Jewish people operate, right? We put on our tefillin shal yad, and then we put on our tefillin shal rosh. We, put on our, we take off our tefillin shal rosh, and then we take off our tefillin shal We never have one without the other. And there's a whole discussion, a big, big discussion about this, because there's a, there's a, a gemara in... In Arachim, in Erechim, that says that the Kohanim and the Beis Hamikdash are chayiv and tefillin. So the Gemara says, obviously the Kohanim are chayiv and tefillin. Why would you think the Kohanim are not chayiv and tefillin? So the Gemara says, well, because they're not allowed to wear tefillin shayad, because the big day Kohuna have to go directly onto their arms. They can't have any, you know, any chatzitza, any interposition between the, the the garments and their bodies. So they can't wear tefillin shayad. We can't put it over the Rishonim say because there's a chatzitza also for the tefillin. You can't put the they can't put it with a chatzitza. That's the whole discussion. They say so when we say the chayv and tefillin, we mean they have a special dispensation to put the tefillin shal roshan without the tefillin shayad. <coughs> Aside from that, not so simple. There's a discussion in the Shagas Aryeh. Shagas Aryeh has a question. He wonders if a person, God forbid, becomes uh, amputee, a person loses their arm. Now he's it's interesting, Shiloh, because 
he's under the assumption that if you lose your left arm and you're a, uh, and you're a righty, then you don't put tefillin on your right arm, which is not simple, right? Because if a, if a lefty puts on the right arm, then certainly someone who is a righty who lost their left arm should put on their right arm, you would think. But that's a whole discussion whether that's true. Bona a chalila, a double amputee. So then the question becomes, can they put on the tefillin shorosh without tefillin shayad? Or is the Kohanim a separate thing? These are discussions. You can look at the Shagasari in the beginning, in the first few pieces over there. I mean, not the first few, but like maybe around uh, five, six, seven, eight over there in those Simonim. He discusses Tefillin, a few different Simonim. One of them is about a person who doesn't have an arm. What's this Indian of not putting on the Tefillin Shorosh without the Tefillin Shorosh? What's the secret of this? So there's a Gemara in Mesechus of Odezara <coughs> that says that in the future to come, when Mashiach comes, it should be today, when Mashiach comes, so there are going to be those of the nations of the world. Baruch Hashem, we've already had many people from the nations of the world who have joined the, the Jewish people. We don't go actively, proactively getting people to come join the Jewish people because they're, they're perfectly good human beings as, uh, as non-Jews. You have the righteous of the Umus Olam and Olam Haba. But we've had many people who joined up. But uh, after Mashiach comes, no more, you can't. So the Gemara says that they're going to come and they're going to want to convert to Judaism and we're going to say it. So it's too late for that. You know, you could be, you could be good the way that you are. There's a lot to do, but you can't, you can't really become Jewish anymore because all, ulterior motives. The Gemara says that some of them are going to say, Vafal Pikain, we want to be part of this. So the Gemara says they're going to put mezuzahs on their doors and sitzahs on their clothing. And listen carefully to the Lush of the Gemara. You'll notice it right away because I'm pointing it out right now. When you're reading it out of context, you might not get it. But the Gemara says in Masechus of Odazara, they put tefillin on their heads and tefillin on their arms. And this is exactly the reason that they're not accepted. Because tefillin, and this is the, this is the revelation of what, why we do it in the way that we do it. Tefillin on the heads, before tefillin on the arms, I mean, I need to understand it before I do it. I need to first subjugate my head, and I'm willing to do that. I'll do the hard work. I need to subjugate my head. And then afterwards... I'll be able to subjugate my heart, my my, my my arm. And since in this particular instance, the attempt to become a member of the Jewish people is after it became clear that this was something that's worthwhile in the long run. So therefore, the Gemara says that we don't accept them. The Gemara never says any of this explicitly. It just makes this off comment of they put tefillin on their heads and tefillin on their arms. And wouldn't you know it, the next line in the Gemara is that shortly after that there are going to be enemy nations that are going to attack Mashiach and the Jewish people. And those who are, the, what, what the Gemara calls gerim gerurim, those who are converts who dragged after the Jewish people who aren't real converts, are going to take off their tefillin and say, oh, we're not part of this. Not, uh, because the whole thing is a game of, does this work for me as opposed to do I work for it? <coughs> and therefore, for that reason... When we put on our arm tefillin before our head tefillin, we're making this statement that we're doing something we don't understand before we get to the place where we do understand. There's a, a, a comment of the Magid Meisharim. Our Magid Meisharim is Rav Yosef Cairo, who's the author of the Shulchan Aruch, who wrote a sefer called Magid Meisharim, which is a very mysterious sefer of conversations that he had with a Malach. He would ask questions, he would go, go shluf or not or whatever, and he would have these revelations. So in Parsha's bow, he asked this Magid, this, this Malach, he said, I don't understand. Uh, why are we putting blood on the doorposts for Hashem to know which houses to jump over? Hashem doesn't need signs. He knows exactly what it is. Blood is a pretty awkward sign for like, this is a place of life. You know, you put like blood, it looks like a haunted house. It's not. 
And the Torah is very explicit that the blood should go on the inside of the doorpost. So if it's supposed to be a sign to jump over, then put it on the outside. Meaning, I, I, the first guy, he doesn't need it anyway, but if anyway we're doing it, like put it on the outside, on the inside. So the Magid came back to Rav Yosef Kaira and said, you're making a big mistake. It's not a sign for Hashem. It's the reason that Hashem is jumping over. Hashem is saying that there's going to be, there's going to be things that you, on this, we're starting a journey together, Jewish people, that's going to be long and somewhat uh, arduous, somewhat twists and turning. And, uh, and, and we're feeling it very strong right now, you know, individ- individually and nationally, we're feeling right now very strong, this Indian. Hashem said, it's going to be, on the inside of your doorpost, it's good that you should know that at the, at the outside, it's going to be a, a messy journey where you're not going to be able to see the front side of the crochet. You're going to be, it's, it's going to be messy. It's not simple. But if you now are willing to do that now, then that is not the simon that I should jump over your house. That's the reason I'm going to jump over your house. Because you're willing to come with me on this journey where you put on arm tefillin before head tefillin. We're not talking here about doing things and not understanding mm-hmm. them. That's not, the, that's not the idea. The idea is that you can't possibly fully come to understand something until you do it. Unless you're involved in the lab doing the experiment, all the theory and the lectures from the professor are not really going to bring you to that place of really being able to see. And so the Indian of tefillin is to be able to put on the tefillin shalyad before you put on the tefillin shalosh. To say, I'm, 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 I'm doing an action, I'm buying into something so that I can get myself out of the way. Not for the hope of never being able to understand, but for the hope of being able to start something in a way which is gentle and which is, which is proper so that I can come to a place where I have a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation. Kohanim and the Beis Mikdash don't wear tefillin shalyad. They only wear tefillin shalrosh. That's a very peculiar thing. Now you know, the Indian of the Kohanim is such that the reason that they were chosen, the Bnei Aaron, is because of their non-involvement in the, in the Chet HaEgel. By the Chet HaEgel, they made a golden calf that as the Ramban explains already and the, and the Kuzari explained, the golden calf was not an idol. And we treat it like the Jewish people worshipped the Vodazara and we treat it very seriously. It wasn't an idol in the traditional sense of, of, of worshipping an idol. It was some sort of intermediary, meaning the reason they made it is because they got nervous that Moshe Rabbeinu disappeared. They didn't have a leader. They were trying to create some sort of way of, of bringing the divine presence down to the world. I didn't think this thing was an idol in and of itself. And for this, this is considered the ultimate, ultimate chait of the Jewish people. So Hashem says, oh, I, I, here's what we're going to do to atone for this chait. We're going to build the Beis HaMikdash. That's part of the atonement. And what is at the centerpiece of this Beis HaMikdash? A golden idol. The Kruvim. Two. You know what? I'll up the ante. Instead of one golden idol, we'll make two golden idols. How about that? So much so that when the when the when, the, when the, the enemies of the Jewish people entered into the, into the Beis HaMikdash and they entered into the Kodesh Kedashim and they saw these two, they said, this is the idolatry of the Jewish Look at this, it's unbelievable. They didn't understand it. And the Ramban and the Kuzari both come and say something amazing. They say that the only difference, because it's an explicit Pasuk in the Torah, the Torah says, where does prophecy come from? Mi Shnei Akruvim. 
מבין שני הכרובים, השם speaks to משה רבינו, and he speaks to the Jewish people, מבין שני הכרובים. So the Chir HaEgel was an attempt to create some sort of antenna to draw nevuah and divine guidance and to know what to do without being instructed by Hashem how to do that. And the only difference between that and the Kruvim is that one of them Hashem said, this is how you do it. And in the other instance, in the other instance, Hashem didn't say this is how you do it. You decided on your own. And because the Kohanim abstains from the Chet Hegel, and they already proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything that we do is only because Hashem. It makes sense. The Chet Hegel makes sense. The Hegel makes a lot of sense. In fact, Aaron understood the Chet Hegel. He said he that's his part in the Chet Hegel. But he was trying to push off from doing this because he was hoping that Hashem would send some sort of message what to do because we can't decide on our own. If anything, what, what, what we're waiting for right now, what we're waiting for right now is we're on the level of, on the level of waiting and, and, and davening, is that we're asking Hashem to, to tell our nation, to tell each of us individually, obviously, our part in it, but to tell us what, what are we supposed to do right now? What is the next step that the Jewish people are supposed to be taking? We don't know. We don't know. We don't have. We don't have an armatuvim. We don't have nevim. We have Baruch Hashem Torah, and that's the answer. The answer is, what is it that the Jewish people are supposed to be doing right now? But we have to, we have to beg Hashem to be able to, to move the world towards being able to see kol all the answers to what the Jewish people need to do, and Baruch Hashem, we're doing it so strong. The, the renewed ish, interest in tzitzis and, 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 and seeing people. My, my wife just told me yesterday that somebody who was visiting one of the villages in the south, somebody pulled out a sitter to say Kalmale for something that happened there. My wife's cousin told her, so my wife was telling me, that she, the best thing that she saw, she, two soldiers walked by, and as, as soon as they saw the southern Kalmale, they instantly, again, it's a whole, uh, they instantly reached into their pockets, pulled out yarmulkes, put on yarmulkes, and started and joined there, and, and stood there for 20 minutes while a Kalmale, and a Kaddish, and a, and a, and a Dvar Torah, and a whole thing. It's one big Purim story with the Jewish people. Sometimes we look like we're, we're disinterested and, and, and it, was, it was the beginning of the Jewish people coming back to Eretz Yisrael. It's a process. The Vilna Gaon said this explicitly. He said that what happened when we left Eretz Yisrael is that our, our, our being able to look in the Sefer and see what it says here and to live with Torah and mitzvahs, with the Yom Tovim and with all the different mitzvahs, all of that started to disappear. We started to take off the arm to fill in. And then Hashem took away the Besam Mikdash. Hashem took away the Besam Mikdash and He took away prophecy. <laughs> and eventually we lost Eretz Yisrael and we went out. The Vilna Gaon said the opposite is going to be the way we, we come back to Eretz Yisrael first. Come back to Eretz Yisrael. And it's true. It was a shaky start in the beginning. <coughs> and then we start to build on top of that. And we, and, we, and, and we build yeshivas and we build seminaries and we have places of learning and we have places of... And all of a sudden the prophecy of the Jewish people starts to come back. Whether it's explicit or implicit. The Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because we stopped living with that awareness. And now that we've returned to a place where the fact that we're sitting, I mean, I, I mention this all the time, but I'm going to mention it again, the fact that we're all sitting here, literally right next to Harbayas, is something that you could not possibly fathom. It's not possible to fathom such a thing. Rav Tzadok HaKohen of Lublin, in the introduction to his Sefer Sichus Malachi Asharis, which is a rather esoteric sefer where he proves 
that because there were some people in his time, he lived in the 1900s, there were some people in his time who didn't believe that the concept of malachim, of angels, is something that has to do with Judaism, but that we, in the second temple period, that we brought it back from Bavel. But in Bavel, we got into, because there's not really any mention, explicit mention of angels in such a bolate way, until we start to come back from Bavel, and then there's a discussion. So he wrote a book called Sichos Malachim where he traces the tradition of this concept of malachim as being a, 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 a genuine part of the Jewish tradition. And in the introduction to that book, he writes something which make your hair stand on end. He says... It's so silly that I'm writing, and then we'll sing in the again after this. He says, it's so silly that I'm writing a book to prove that malachim are part of the Jewish tradition. You just have to read even the earlier books of Tanakh. And of course, you see that malachim are part of the Jewish tradition. The earliest sources, we see that malachim are part of the Jewish tradition. The fact that I'm writing such a book is so silly. You know what it's like? I'll tell you what it's like. It's like if I were to write a book to prove that Yerushalayim is a real place, even though none of us have ever seen it. That's what he writes. 1900s. Right? Even though I've never, late 1800s, even though I've never seen it, I believe, like a, like a mythical city of, you know, Atlantis, Yerushalayim, we believe it exists the way we believe Malachim exists. And here we are sitting, not in Yerushalayim, but in the old city of Yerushalayim, and not just in the old city of Yerushalayim, but Lithuania and Achom in the old city of Yerushalayim, right next to Harabais. So that part happened, just like the Vilna Gon said it would happen. And the next part that has to happen is now, to do everything we can in a normal way, with great patience and with you know, with the lights on, with great care, to be able to study what are the halachos? How should I be living in this world? What, what does it mean to be, you're learning Bava Kama, what does it mean to be honest in business? What does it mean to, to if I cause damage, how to, how to undo that damage? To make sure that I, that I know what the Torah asks of me in that, in that situation, in this situation. To be able to put the tefillin shalyad back on. It's ki'ilu, the Jewish people have returned back to that place, but we have to be willing to, to show like the Kohanim, we want to bring the Kohanim of old back. The way that we do that is by putting the tefillin shayyad back on before the tefillin shayrosh. And that's something that every single one of us can do. It doesn't matter, you put on tefillin, you don't put on tefillin. Right? You're a man, you're a woman, you're bar mitzvah, you're not bar mitzvah, you're bat mitzvah, you're not bar mitzvah. Everybody could put the tefillin shayyad on before the tefillin shayrosh, which means to be able to say, I want to look in the safe <coughs> and to see what I'm supposed to be doing. And even if I'm not yet at that place of understanding exactly what this means, to be able to start to have a relationship with the action so that we can come to a place of, of understanding.
Also said this Indian that the whole Torah is interconnected. It's like a, it's like a lahavda. It's like a, it's like one big Wikipedia page. Where there's all these hyperlinks between all the, every word and every letter is connected to each other. So the Vilna Gaon cited a tradition that we have that goes back to the Zara. That the Zara said, you know, the entire Torah is contained even within the first word of the Torah. The first word of the Torah could be unfolded to explain the entire Torah, and if you really understand <coughs> it, even the first letter of the Torah. So somebody was once sitting with the Vilna Gon at a, at a Pidyan Aben, there's a mitzvah of Pidyan Aben in the Sikh's parasha, and he said to the Vilna Gon, he said, you said that the whole Torah could be found in the word Bereshus. Where's Pidyan Aben in Bereshus? So the Vilna Gon, without missing a beat, turns out and says, what do you mean? Bereshus? Bereshus is Rosh Tevos, Ben Rishon Achar Shloshim Yom Tipade. The first son after 30 days should be redeemed. And the guy's like, what? All right, you know. Ben Rishon Achar Shloshim Yom Tipade. Now, sweet story. So we're talking, so we're talking about this, that every mitzvah applies to every person at every moment. So how do we redeem the firstborn? That seems to be what we're talking about today. Every mitzvah applies to every person. How does, how does one redeem the firstborn? Let's say you don't have a firstborn. Let's say your first. Let's say you're Kohen or a Levi. Let's say your firstborn is a girl, not a boy. The halacha is that it's only for the boy. So, how do you redeem your firstborn? What does it mean to redeem the firstborn? It's a very deep question. How do you redeem the firstborn? So. Chazal tell us that why is it that the redemption of the firstborn is it's just, it's just basically five coins. It's, it's nothing. It's mamish like it's, it's, it's five dollars. It's not five dollars. It's dollars, not the currency. It, it, it's five coins. It's nothing. You would expect it to be, I mean. So the Gemara says, well, we, we know that this is the value of the firstborn child because that's how much the brothers sold Yosef for. When Yosef HaTzadik was sold and eventually ended up into Mitzrayim, this is now the bookend, that Yosef is how we got into Mitzrayim and now we're leaving Mitzrayim. So we have to know that just like Yosef was sold for five, so too we have to come out with five. Obviously, the mitzvah of Pidyon Haben, as is expressed in the Torah, is Hashem says, because I redeemed your firstborns, because I, in the Makkah of Makkah's Bechoros, 
did not bring a plague upon your firstborn, so you have to do this mitzvah of Pidyon Aben, of giving five slime to the Kohen. So, the Mepharshim explained that by Makas Bechoros, what Hashem did, we spoke earlier today, some of us who were in my, the parents who were there for my morning seder, for the guys who were in my morning seder, we spoke about how the Makah of Makas, you know, I guess I should say it like this, you know, there are Svarim that explain that the ten Makos are a reinstantiation of the Asarim Amaros Shnev Behem Sa'olam, the ten utterances that were used in the creation of the world, in reverse. So the first of those ten utterances is Bereshis, Berelokim, which means the beginning of there being anything. What the Ramban explains is the, the primordial matter, like the, 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 the Big Bang, as it were, the, the big explosion of all of that, all that would be created afterwards. Bereshis, Berelokim, that's also part of the Asarim Amaros. So the creation of the idea of creation, or of life itself, of the energy that pulsates that is life itself, corresponds <coughs> to the final Maka of Makos Bechoros. And then Vahi Or corresponds to Choshech. <coughs> work it out from there. There are unfortunately more busy with this, trying to, Eser Makos, Asar Maros, how they work together. The Maral is very busy with how does Dam work with the, the final uh, utterance, which is ostensibly to create man, Adam is Mashem It's a whole, uh, it's a whole pilpul. It, it's not smooth. I'll, I'll save you the, I, I'm not saying it's not real. It's real. It's just not smooth. It's not a smooth. Uh... The Maka of Maka's Bechoros, just like the Maka of Choshech, the Maka of Choshech, like we spoke about this morning, was Hashem taking that Vahi Or, and bringing it out to the world again so strong that it was blinding for people who couldn't handle it. And it, there was a light inside the, the homes of the Jewish people. Makas Bechoros was a very powerful thing. Makas Bechoros was Hashem revealing something like a force that said there is only one thing in the world. Ein od milvado. All there is is me. Paro, you say you don't know that God exists, you don't believe in God? I'm going to show you power in this final Makkah, that ain't or Movado. Not that there's no other gods, there aren't other gods, but rather there is no particle, there is no nothing that exists other than God. So now comes along the Orchayim HaKadosh and come along other tzaddikim and they say, well, how did we survive Makkah's Bechoros? See, the idea that Hashem is first and therefore, the, the soul, Matsui Rishon, as the Ramam calls him, the, the, the first cause, the first creator. The idea of firstness, which became challenged by the Makas Bechoros, anything that thought it was first couldn't exist. You stand in the presence of the, the real first, everything else becomes subsumed under that firstness. But there were firstborn Jews. How, how could it be that these, these firstborn people were not taken up in this revelation of this? The only thing that's first is Hashem. So the Rechaim HaKadosh says that in that moment Hashem revealed the fact that we now take for granted <coughs> it's written into the founding documents of the United States of America and on the Liberty Bell. This understanding of this notion that we have something called the soul and that the soul is what the Pasuk and Eov says and is quoted on the Svarim HaKadoshim is a chilek elokam imal is a piece of the divine above. The chilek elokam imal the fact that the Jewish people 
brought to the world, and the Yidin in Mitzrayim, these firstborns, didn't die, can only be because they contain a chilek of this Rishon themselves. We contain, we contain within each Bechor, and, and non-Bechor, but the Bechor are the ones who are in danger, contain an aspect of that original firstness itself, enough so that they were not affected by the Mak of Makas Bechoros. That's what the Archaim Akash says. To redeem the Bechor, to redeem the firstborn, for every person, man, woman, child, firstborn, secondborn, I'm middle child. You know, middle child syndrome, all of, uh, middle children in the, in the room, raise your hands. Don't be embarrassed, okay? All of us with our, you know, okay? <laughs> so, whether you're a Bechor or you're not a Bechor, the Indian of redeeming the firstborn means to redeem that aspect of yourself, which is called the Yechida. On the level of the nefesh of, your, of, your, of yourself, there's, there's your personality. On the level of ruach, there's a little bit of your personality. On the level of nishama, there's a little bit of your personality. On the level of the chaya, there's a little bit of your personality. On the level of the yechida, these are different parts of the soul, medrash, rabba, and bracious. On the, on the level of the yechida of your personality, there is no you in your personality. There's only yachid echad, yachid umayuchad. And there's a direct strand that comes into every single person that is an expression of that echad yachad umayuchad. To redeem the firstborn means to be megala, the achdos of Hashem in your particular life. And there's many ways to do that, very practically speaking. Very practically speaking, it means find the things that you're good at, find your natural talents, nature, nurture, whatever. You got piano lessons, or uh, you're a naturally good writer, or singer, or, or whatever. Take, the, very practical, there's many other things you can do. Take whatever you you know what it is. Whatever your greatest talent is, and somehow figure out how to sneak Hashem into the world using that talent. Sneak, make another pipeline for Hashem into the world using that talent. Don't just use it for your own thing. Use it as a way of promoting it because your talent is the thing that gets attention from other people. Right? If you're an artist, if you're a photographer, if you're, if you're in medicine, whatever, that's what gets the attention of other people. The purpose of that attention is to be able to draw and to say, you know, this is coming from a place of yechida. So when we redeem the firstborn, we redeem the firstborn with five coins. Because each of the coins, each of those coins is a way of uncovering, of taking off one of those layers till we get to the Yechida. Of removing one more, redeeming one more aspect of ourselves to a different place. But this is an understanding that it's not just the Bechor of the Jewish people that get redeemed from Egypt, but every single person has this aspect of the Bechor. The Bechor means the firstness inside of us. That which attaches us to the first, to the Motzei Harishon. <coughs> the firstborn animal, the firstborn child, the first of our, of our crops, the first of our... The Indian of Bikurim, everything is going towards trying to reveal this firstness in, in reality. Even the sale of Yosef HaTzadik, the sale of Yosef down to Mitzrayim, is to reveal to the world that, as the Ramban writes, the brothers thought that they were selling Yosef down to Mitzrayim, that they were getting rid of him once and for all. They didn't know that Hashem was, you know, to take it back to the beginning, to take the whole past 45 minutes full circle. They didn't realize that the mess that they thought they were making, 
and Hashem's crochet board, you know, that he was making, that Hashem was like, oh, you're just, a, you're just my needle that I'm using to thread this beautiful picture where he's going to go and he's going to save all of the people who are going to be starving in Mitzrayim. And at the end of the entire exile, we have this throwback of the five shkalim, of the five sloim, going back to Yosef HaTzadik to say, you know, I was running the whole show the whole time, right? And when I say that I was running the whole sh- the show the whole time, the idea is not you're a pawn in Hashem's hands and therefore, like, might as well sit back and enjoy the ride or something like that, which is also true. You should enjoy the ride, for sure. It doesn't mean you're a pawn, you're a, you're a, you're a zero, you're a nothing. It means that you carry a chilek elokamimal, you carry a piece of Hashem. It's not that Hashem is doing it to the exclusion of you. It's that you carry a spark of that. You're not just a pawn that Hashem is using, but there's an aspect. Hashem exiled himself into the human being in a certain way, and your job is to uncover that, that aspect of the Rabboni Shalom that he's revealing through you in the world. You're not a pawn. Or as the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, you're a pawn whose goal is to get to the end of the board and to reveal that the pawn could flip it to become a queen. And you become the queen of the king. You are a pawn. But you're a pawn so much as your goal is to get to the other side of the board and reveal, no, you were Hashem's partner in this the whole time. That's the place to stop. <laughs> Amen.